Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now today's message. Good morning, Covenant. It is great to see you. We have a wonderful, wonderful day ahead of us, even with uh, some of the great things and the worship that's already been behind us. Amen? It's going to be a good day. I want to remind you of two Bs this morning, blue cards and baptism. So there will be one of these around you somewhere. Uh, let me invite you, particularly if you are someone interested in pastoral ministry, you just want to have a conversation with me personally. It's an open invitation, no pressure to talk to me about what it means to shepherd God's people. We're in the last of a, a series of three weeks on pastoral ministry and what it involves. All you have to do, this is just sort of a regular response card. You can put other prayer needs on it as well but just write pastor on the back of it and it'll come directly to me uh, and you and I'll have a confidential conversation one-on-one. So blue cards. Secondly, baptisms. It is time, uh, that time of the year where we do it not internally in-house, but at the Potomac River. And so if you want to meet us at the boat ramp, uh, go get some breakfast or some brunch. There's a the new restaurant actually in German Street you may want to try out. Hopefully it's open today and I haven't uh, led you down the wrong path. And, and so, and then join us at the boat ramp right after the 11 o'clock service, we think. Um, it's supposed to rain. We're going to try to beat it. So we're going to see how that goes today. Uh, but a lot of good things happening. Like I said, we're in a series called Called to Be Family. We've been spending really the bulk of the summer weeks together just in a, in a refresher course about the local church, reminding each other that church at its heart, it's not a building or a structure or a budget. Church is a family. Church is not a weekend experience. This isn't just something you come to and, and you, you dedicate one twenty-fourth of one-seventh of your week to that. The church should be more than that if it's going to guide you spiritually, if it's going to do what God intends for it to do uh, for your life. And in particular, we spent the last two weeks talking about who should lead that family. Leadership is not the only thing we've been talking about this summer, but we've drilled down a little bit because we do believe it's time for God to raise up some more leaders, some shepherds, pastors, elders, some deacons among us, uh, some other people who will lead in, in various ways. We have a pastoral residency starting on September the 25th. I know I told some of you it was the 18th. I was wrong. Starts on the 25th. On the 18th is our older adult dinner. Uh, you, if, if you if you fit that demographic, you'll be getting an email. Don't be offended by it. It's a free meal, great entertainment. But on the 25th, we're starting the, uh, the pastoral residency. And so we're just getting geared up for this by grounding all of it in what the scriptures would commend to us about leadership. So we've spent three weeks. Week number one, we talked about the, the character qualifications. What is it that God looks for in a leader so that he is the kind of individual that the church can put their trust in? A trusted voice, someone that the church can lean on and know Know that they can count on. Not always agree with necessarily, certainly not perfect, but, but someone. What are those character qualities? Last week we talked about the responsibilities. Uh, and so we, now we want to talk about, we, we want to come full circle and wrap this up. Leaders by default and by definition lead. That's why you came this morning. You got dressed up, came all the way here to hear deep things like that, right? Leaders lead. Uh, in order for leaders to lead, he or she must have people following him or her. 
And, and so we come back to that text that triggers some of us, and there's a number of reasons for that, where it says, obey your leaders and submit to them. And as I promised, I said, we're, we're not going to start there. We're going to talk about character. We're going to talk about responsibility. But it is time now to come full circle. This is a hard thing for us. And, and there's several reasons for this that we just need to acknowledge at the outset. The first, and I shared this a couple of weeks ago, our culture that we live in was birthed in rebellion against authority. Now, I think most of us would argue it was a tyrannical authority, but nonetheless, when your culture is birthed in something like that, right or wrong, you're going to have a natural suspicion of authority. That in and of itself is not wrong, and sometimes it can even be healthy. But it, we need to be aware that that's there. It's part of our history. It's, it's part of our culture. And if we're not careful, it can, it can take over a little too much. Distrust can go to full-on paranoia. Amen. Yeah, and we don't, we don't want that either. Number two, some of you, in fact, many of you here in the Covenant family are natural leaders. I get up every Sunday morning and I preach to chief executive officers and chief operating officers and school principals and administrators and people running multi-million dollar government contracts and people who do things like this every single day of their life. The overwhelming majority of your life is spent making executive decisions, having other people look to you. And so you would be naturally averse to reversing position on that. And I understand that as a natural leader, I don't naturally or just by virtue of instinct, submit myself to another person. I just, I just don't do that. And then there is just simply the fact that some of you have not been treated well. You've had bad experiences. You, you tried this whole submission obedience thing to a leader or to a system or to a church. And for some of you, maybe it just happened in your own home starting when you were growing up and you were taken advantage of because there are bad leaders. We talked about that the last couple of weeks, or they're in it for themselves, and it's hard because you, you don't want to go down that road again, and especially, really to all three groups, but especially that last group, a lot of what I'm going to say today is going to sound on the surface to be very self-serving. I just want to ask you to, to just plead with the Holy Spirit to be able to hear your pastor's heart this morning as I just simply try to be faithful to what the Word of God is telling us to do. How is it that we're supposed to do this? I want to expound on what this actually says, why it commends submission, and the benefit that comes from it. And so here's where we're going to make it simple. What is it that the author of Hebrews is calling us to do? Why is he calling us to do it? And how do we know when we've done it? Okay? Those are the questions that we're going to deal with, starting with what is it that he's calling us to do? He says in verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, we, we need a real accurate understanding of what this means, because when we hear the word obey, I don't know about you, but I think about children, obey your parents, right? I remember many, many years ago, I was somewhere down around Andrews Air Force Base. I was working, I was about an hour and a half from home, and I get a call. I can't remember why Amy wasn't available, but for whatever reason, it, it's the local elementary school. And I won't tell you which of my three children it was, because I don't want to out any of them, but I will tell you this, uh, I was an hour and a half away. And Mr. Rainey, this is the principal at Lisbon Elementary. We want you to know that your child is sitting here in the office and you need to come get them. And I said, I'm an hour and a half away. Well, we're open until 5.30. What are you going to do, leave him on the sidewalk? Like, what? Are you, I don't, I, 
what happened? Well, he, you know what? He just refused to get on the school bus. And I said, he's six. Pick him up and put him on the school bus. And they said, well, it's school pilot. We're actually not allowed to even put our hands on your child. I said, when I was growing up, they put their hands on me. They wore my butt out if I'd acted that way in school. Do y'all remember that? And I said, what piece of paper do I need to sign to authorize you to use any means necessary to get that boy on the bus, right? Parents, you ever felt that way? Right? When, you, when you hear the word obedience, typically that's what we're thinking about, right? And so when you make yourself the subject of that, all of a sudden you get, whoa, wait a minute, I'm not six anymore. So what's this mean, obey your leaders? Well, a look at the Greek will help bring some clarity for this because the word obey actually means to quiet your heart and to have confidence in. You're like, well, why don't they just say that in English? Well, because it your Bible would be this thick instead of this thick, all right? They're trying to be as succinct as they can while simultaneously being as accurate as they can. So, so take these two commands. To obey means to quiet your heart and to instill confidence in. And then there's this word submission. So with a quiet heart and confidence in your leaders, that's why those character qualifications, 1 Timothy 3, are so important. You got to be able to trust the leader. To trust them, you have to have witnessed a track record of honesty and integrity and faithfulness to Jesus and his people. Not perfection, but but consistency overall. You can kind of look, not not that they won't sin, not that they won't do things wrong, not that they won't make mistakes, but when you look at the, the wider pattern of their life, their doctrine, their teaching, their example, you see somebody that you can trust. And then with that posture and confidence in mind, again, not your personal feelings, but holding them up to those standards in God's word that we've been talking about in the last couple of weeks in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. If they match that, then with confidence that they match that, I'm to submit. That means voluntarily step underneath. That's what it means. It's the same word that occurs in Ephesians chapter 5 in another really popular Bible verse that says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. <laughs> Don't y'all love that one? I'll tell you what, in this day and age, I love preaching on that one. It just, it, I don't know, it gives everybody the warm fuzzies. What it, let, let me tell you what that doesn't mean, and then we'll know what the author of Hebrews doesn't mean. Did you realize, some of the men probably need to hear this, nowhere in Scripture does it say husbands instruct your wives to submit to you? You won't find it there. Husbands demand that your wives submit to you. Husbands beat your wives into submission. The command is for the wives, and the intent is a willing submission. And so the same is true here. It's a willingness to get up underneath because you recognize at the end of the day, this is for your benefit. It's for the leader's benefit. It's for the church's benefit. In other words, the author of Hebrews is telling us the same thing that Paul is in Ephesians 5. There's a pattern in the home and the church that, that kind of mirror each other. And, it, and it's there for that mutual blessing and benefit. Probably the best example of this for our family was many, many years ago, we were home at Christmas and my wife's grandfather was hospitalized, uh, 
Thank God he turned out to be okay at least for a few more years until he passed away, but we thought we were going to lose him. And one night he called for the family because we really thought that he was going to die. Now the problem is our, our children were still really young at the time, too young to be left at home by themselves. My in-laws had already gone. My wife is standing there at the door ready to go out the door. One of us has got to stay with the kids. But between us and the hospital on that route, there's kind of a shady part of town. It's where all the Redskins fans live. And so just want to make sure you were still awake, all right? And, and so we, there's kind of a shady part of town. And out of concern for my wife, I looked at her. I said, I don't, I don't want you going. And she said, my grandfather's dying. And so in that moment, Mr. Rainey and Mrs. Rainey had met what we might call an impasse. You ever been there in your married life? Yeah. And so what is it that each of us is called to do in that moment? Because I'll be honest with you guys. She had a set of keys in her pocket. She lives in America. She is licensed to drive. She is, it, there was nothing keeping her from doing what I was asking her to do in that moment. Plus, she had a legitimate reason to want to go and, and, and to be with her grandfather. So, so what do you do in a moment like that? She just said, okay. And then guess what? It was on me to try to figure out how are we going to get her over there in a way where I feel like she can be safe and go? And, and I'll tell you, even to this day, it's been more than 10 years since that event happened, she does not agree. She thought I was being ridiculous. She probably still does. She's nodding her head right now. Yep, he was being absolutely overprotective and ridiculous. But she said, okay. That's what willing submission looks like. You don't feel coerced. You, don't, you just kind of understand in the moment, okay, this is what, I want you to know the writer of Hebrews tells us through this one word, submit, upostaso, getting up under. It, it looks exactly the same way in the church that it should look in the home. And here's the reason for that. I told you a couple of, couple of weeks ago, we are not a democracy here because anarchy and democracy in a church will eventually lead to anarchy. And I'll tell you why that is in just a moment. Anarchy leads to disorder, but tyranny leads to oppression. And we don't want either in God's church, and God doesn't want either in God's church. And so the way that he has prescribed that this leader-follower schematic is to work is one of, of mutual blessing and benefit. So there's not tyranny. He intends for the Holy Spirit through the confirmation of God's people to choose the leaders to whom the body will submit. And then once they've been chosen, based on the confidence that Hebrews cites here, the confidence rooted more deeply in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the next step of the body is to humbly submit to their leadership. Now, why else would there be leaders if, if God didn't intend for them to be followed? That's the point. That's the point. God intends them to be. Here's the reason. We cannot always be 800, 900 people, however many souls we're caring for right now. Sometimes we have to be one body. In fact, every single time we do something as Covenant Church, we're not doing it as hundreds of people. We're doing it as one body. How many directions can one body move in? One. Yeah. Second grade math. We'll teach you that, right? You, you can't go, I can't, this arm can't go this way and this arm go this way for very long. Otherwise, I'm in a, in a situation known as being drawn and quartered. 
okay? You're going to rip the body apart. So the role of leaders is to make sure we're moving together in a singular direction so that we don't tear things apart. And so among other things, it's the leader's responsibility to differentiate between your thing, my thing, and our thing. You get that? There are some things that are going to be our thing as a church. When we do an event together, that's our thing, and we come together for that. Then there's things that are your thing, and they're not sinful. In fact, they might even be wonderful, and they may be things that God uses, but it's not necessarily our thing. Six years ago, I ran into a lot of this. People would come into the office, well, I feel God leading me to do this or leading me to do that, and it wasn't necessarily anything connected to the, the central mission of Covenant Church. It also wasn't something bad. It was a good thing, but somehow they expected budget dollars and authority and for us to recruit a team of people for them, and that, that had kind of become the expectation, and the result, if you, imagine what the result of that is on a staff. Imagine being on an office staff and being pulled in 18 different directions at once. So, so when pastors lead in this way, we're, we're not seeking to lord it over. We're seeking to move the church in a singular direction. Because if the church owns everything, we move in multiple directions. So you can't have 700, 800 pastors. You can't have 800 different agendas. God gives order and structure. Remember what we said last week? God intends the church to accomplish her mission. Her mission cannot be accomplished if she is not rightly ordered, and she cannot be rightly ordered if she is not well led. And so good shepherding requires that, that we set priorities. Good shepherding requires that God gives us order, structure, because he knows that anarchy is no good for any of us. So that's the what. Our submission is for the sake of the entire body. It's for the sake of our brothers and sisters. It is for our own sake. That's what the author of Hebrews is calling us to do. With a quiet heart and spirit of confidence, submit yourself to your leaders. Here's the reason why. He goes on. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Now, what is applied here is sobering, especially for anyone who is currently leading in any kind of pastoral role here at the church or those who may in the future, a year from now, two years from now, when some of these men that we're working with begin to sense a call. Uh, it, it, this should sober you up immediately right now. Literally, this is what the, the author of Hebrews is, is saying. They will face a reckoning. So with a quiet spirit of confidence, submit to your leaders because a reckoning is coming in front of King Jesus for them relative to how they served you and how they led you. That's what's coming, right? And so we answer to the Lord for that kind of job. Our job is to keep watch over the direction, over the spiritual well-being of God's people. So we vet and recommend deacons. We oversee and hold accountable small group leaders. We we handle church discipline issues. We'll get to that in just a moment. Because if you're part of the body of Christ at Covenant, this is what motivates us. Your spiritual walk and how it affects the rest of the body is ultimately our responsibility. So we have to stay alert as to what, what is happening among God's people as a whole. You remember I said last week that, that pastoring a church is a lot like doing air traffic control if 15% of the pilots in the air were drunk? 
That's what it is. You got this pocket of dysfunction and this pocket of addiction and this pocket of sin and this pocket of rage and this pocket of perversion and, and, and you're working with people, especially if they really want to get better and they want to grow in their walk with Jesus and you're holding appropriate confidences, but at the same time, you're kind of standing and looking at the radar screen, man, I got to keep this one from crashing into this one lest the whole church suffer because of it. That's pastoring. It's, it's air traffic control. And that involves doing some deep work in the souls of people. And that, too, is something that triggers those of us who've grown up in a culture dominated almost, I won't even say almost, it is to an unhealthy point of individualism. All right? Individualism can be a very good thing. It can be a very unhealthy thing, especially when in community we start think, saying things like, well, that's none of your business. Listen. Let me say a few things. Number one, there really are, hear my heart, there are things I would rather not know about you, okay? So it's, it's not about being a busybody. It's also not about making everything in your personal life the business of the church. But when you're part of a local church, what's going on there, if it begins to affect other things, becomes the business of shepherds to keep watch. So we do practice church discipline here. Like, what is that? Like, wait a minute, I've heard of that. Like, is that. Is that when you kick people out of the church? Yes. Yeah. Um, where, now, some of you got this puritanical, right? Like, like the elders are meeting every month and going, all right, who played cards and who went dancing and who's been sipping on liquor and who's been running around with women and who's been doing and who's been doing that, and we're gonna chase everybody down and we're gonna no. We we have better things to do than that. Furthermore, discipline isn't merely reformative, that is that we we seek out to, to kind of confront you if there's something going on in your life, it's not healthy for you, not healthy for the church. It's formative. And, and so we we keep watch over ourselves, over each other, we hold each other accountable, we hold the body accountable. And we do it in love with the goal of redemption. That always starts and ends by expressing our desire for your good. So we have pushed the eject button maybe three times since I've been here. And I've been here almost seven years. And we pushed it because two conditions were met. Number one, there was an obvious refusal to repent and to turn away from the unhealthy behavior, the toxic, the sinful behavior. And the second issue that had to be met was that behavior, that unrepentant behavior, starts to impact the spiritual growth of your brothers and sisters, either by bringing harm to the church as a whole or to a fellow member. So when a deacon comes to one of us and says, hey, we got a drama queen running a ministry, it's time to do an intervention, we're going to do an intervention. Not because we hate the drama queen, but because God don't want drama leading a ministry. All right. When it comes time for there's some sexually immoral thing going on and it's starting to affect the children and it's starting to affect other family units within the body, we get involved with it. Domestic abuse, your butt will end up in the penalty box real quick here at Covenant for that. You're like, well, I'm worried about my reputation. Well, then you shouldn't have hit your wife. Yeah, there are situations where when certain conditions are met, the penalty is stiff. Martin Luther said, with the weak sheep, you cannot be too gentle. With the wolves, you cannot be too harsh. 
And so you, you need to pray for the pastors that will have a heart of balance, that will know how to deal with these kinds of things when they come up, that we'll have right discernment. We're not God. We're not um, omniscient. We don't know everything. We don't see the whole picture. We want to try as best we can to seek to, to judge based on the knowledge that we're given. And so, it, but here's the other side of that. For some of you, you may be troubled by that. We don't, like I say, we don't come after people. We really would rather not even know sometimes. But a church, brothers and sisters, that just lets you live however you want does not care about you. They want your butt in that seat and they want your money in their offering plate and that's all they care about. Real pastors, genuine bodies of, of believers, they care about your soul. They'll confront you with the truth. They will love you through that. They understand their responsibility is deeper than this and that one day a reckoning is coming. This is why pastors can't be affected by what Proverbs calls the fear of man. The fear of man is a snare, the scripture tells us. Well, they might get mad. They might leave the church. They might take their money with them. They might take three families with them. They might... The question is, what is the truth and what does God expect and are we going to do it? Real pastors understand that. And the people that we're charged with leading, boy, when, when they are following after that with that quiet spirit, it, it's so much easier. Now, let's ask this question. How do we know we're doing it? Okay, so he, he says, this is what you do. Obey your leaders and submit to them. This is why you do it. They're keeping watch over you, so they have a responsibility to the body. Why? Now, how do you know you've done it? Well, there's a little bit of a clue in the latter part of this verse. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So he comes back full circle to those of us who are submitting ourselves. Here's what's good for you. If those who lead you can do it with joy and not with groaning. It, it's been well said that many churches, and I'll tell you, I don't, I, well, I, sometimes it is. I'll just say, uh, church, pastoring a church at times is like herding cats. Now, there are a lot of churches, I don't believe Covenant's one of them for a minute, but there are a few. I have preached in them. I have served and prayed with pastors who lead them that are a lot like herding feral cats. Okay, and so when you try to provide that, that leadership or something like that, and, you, and there are several types of people who make it hard to lead. So let me, let me give a list here. I'm not aiming at anybody, but as I say where I come from, and I just spent five days in my home state of South Carolina, a hit dog will holler. So if you don't want to act like you got hit, don't holler. Okay, here's the first one, the know-it-all, the know-it-all. Somebody that won't listen because they always know more than you. There's something you don't know. There's somebody else you need to see about. There, this, the, hey, well, you don't know that. Well, you don't know that. And it's, uh, I'm not talking about the, hey, pastor, let me give you another angle here. I'm talking about the you just simply don't. And a lot of this is born out of what I'll call the DIY approach to faith. Do-it-yourself faith. Church by YouTube. All right? Church by reading every goofy book I can get my hands on that Joel Osteen ever wrote. I'm sorry, did I? I invoked a name, I guess. All right, I just, I, I read goofy books that make me feel good and make my hairs mad. I'm going to go in. This is like me trying to perform heart surgery on myself. Do-it-yourself Christianity. 
You can't do that. Now, now some of that's legitimate because so many of you are smarter than your pastor. You are. Yes, he is. He was telling the truth. He is smarter than his pastor. So, I mean, that was somebody, you think about this, like five, you go back to the Renaissance or Reformation period, a guy in my role was literally the smartest guy, in, not only in the church, but in the town. He would write letters for you because you couldn't write. He would read the letters that came back because you couldn't read. He would do all kinds of things. He was the smartest guy. I thank God that's not true anymore. Okay. But I, so I'm not talking about people say, hey, I have a level of expertise here that, that might be of use to the church. Any pastor who loves his flock will listen to that. I'm not talking about that. I'm, not about, I'm talking about the know-it-all. Right? I got this all figured out. Number two, hypercritical. These are perpetually negative, glasses always half-empty people. And, and these are people, again, I'm not talking about people that, that write or approach with concerns or questions. I don't understand this. Hey, this really bothered me. Who are otherwise loving and appreciative and kind. Listen, if that's, if that's you, you keep on. You got a concern, you bring it. You make us better. Last thing in the world we want to do is shut that down. Now, I'm talking about somebody that every single time, hey, how many of you got people like that in your family at work? Every single time you see them coming, you're like, oh, geez, what do they want now? Right? What's wrong now, right? You, there are people like that in the church. Did you know that? Like it's just, and they go through cycles of complaint. They'll back off for a little bit and then they'll come back. Sometimes I've seen six-month cycles. I've seen 12-month cycles. I've seen 18-month cycles. But you, you get to a point as a pastor that you, you can kind of predict it. You'll be sitting around the, the table at staff meeting and you'll go, I am. It's almost September. That'll be 18 months, about time for Sally to start complaining about something again. If there's anybody in here named Sally, I'm not aiming at you, okay? But, but here, here's my point. Like, you, you just kind of know, all right? Every time you're around them, you feel like, you ever been around somebody like that? You're like, I don't like being around them because every time I'm around them, I feel like they're sizing me up, looking for some reason to judge me. I've, I've been in the presence of such people once they find out I'm a pastor. It's weird. When people find out you're a pastor, oh, my goodness, okay? Like, they stop cussing. I, okay. They stop referring to what they were doing the night before. But sometimes, sometimes, religious, really judgy kind of people, um, Man, they just got to, I don't know, man, they, they, they got to be in their bonnet about pastors. I, can I speak? I don't like being around those people. And that's my job, to love those people. And so the Lord works on my own sanctification sometimes. Too bad. But I just don't, it's not pleasant to be in the presence of someone who's always just like, like stone-faced, never so, always looking for something to criticize. Sizing you up to find something wrong with you. Let me tell you something. A long time, and this is, I, let, me, let me say this for the benefit of our other, our other folks that are pastors in the room, for the benefit of those who may want to be a pastor. Here's something I hope that you'll get a long time before I got. A long time before I was Pastor Joel, I was just Joel. 
and that's all I'll ever be. That's the name my daddy gave me, and I am who I am by the grace of God, and yes, I'm going to love Jesus, and yes, 1 Timothy 3 is incredibly important, and I'm going to do my best in the power of the Holy Spirit to always maintain that. Absolutely. All the, yes, I will be held to a higher standard. I get all of that, but I'm still me, and, and it took me a long time. It used to bother me when I was younger. I don't know, maybe I've just gotten old and crotchety and I don't care anymore. But, but what I'd like to think is maybe I'm just in a healthier place where I'm just, I've just come to realize that I'm just never, no matter what I do, going to make some people happy, and I'm okay with that. I'm all right with that. I know I'm not everybody's cup of tea. My wife's explained why to me. <laughs> I, I get all of that. But that's consistently critical, 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 always under the microscope. Number three, wounded people. And this one's very, very difficult because this comes with actually a legitimate basis for why you would have a distrust of someone in authority and wouldn't trust others easily because there's a deep wound there. Now, the phrase church hurt gets invoked a lot today to just describe stupid nonsense. I was hurt. Oftentimes, underneath the surface of that was, well, somebody confronted me in my sin. Somebody wouldn't keep putting up with my junk. Somebody wouldn't, yeah, somebody called me on this or on that, and I got angry about it, and I let, and now I'm hurt. All right. Let, for the sake of bona fide victims of abuse, can we please stop that nonsense? Let's just stop that, okay? I was hurt. We had somebody come in several years ago, and I, I got it from a fellow member. They, they were so hurt by their last church. Turns out they, there was domestic abuse in their home, and they, the church was trying to deal with it in a redemptive way. They got mad and left, and then the, the guy told me, well, I was so hurt. And I'm like, you should have been. You should have been. But there is legitimate wounding that happens. Right? That's why I'm calling for this. Let's, let's get the nonsense out of the way so we can actually see that there are people. Some of you are sitting right in front of me right now, and you've been hurt by toxic systems, people. And if, you, if that's you and you've already had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with me, you should, you should already know my heart towards you. You should already know the disposition of this church body towards you, that we want you healed. We want you restored. We want you healthy and thriving. We understand completely why you would have trust issues. We want you to know it's okay if for the moment that you're a little bit difficult to lead, the only thing we ask for is the same grace that we're extending to you as we walk the road together. Okay? Number four, insecure people. These are people who have forgotten who they are in Christ, and they have forgotten simultaneously who the church is with Christ, and it saps their confidence to just follow. And so it usually comes out in this way. They find their identity in some kind of presumed authority, and then they end up doing this with the actual authority, right? That, that's what typically happens. At the, at the heart of that is a really insecure person 
who's just forgotten who they are. You remember what I said earlier? A long time before I was Pastor Joel, I was just Joel. Guess what? One day, and you know, and I pray, I've told you before, I, I pray the sunset years of my life are spent right here in Shepherdstown, right here with God's people. I will not always be the pastor at Covenant. One day I'm going to die. One day I may retire. Whenever that day comes, I'm just going to be Joel again. Really? You're not going to be pastor? No, you can't be a pastor unless you have a people. All these dudes running around with pastor, apostle, bishop. You ain't got no people. Wrapping your whole identity up as some freaking title. What's the matter with you? This is about the people. This is about the bride of Christ. Right? I, I, and if you're, if you're an insecure leader, though, you forget that. Got to have the title. Got to have the authority. Got to have the, yeah, difficult, difficult to lead. Change resistant. Number five, you cling tightly to the past or you're constantly trying to pull the church back into a past that will never be again, all right? When I first got here, it was the glory days, right? When covenant was like, you know, when there were 48 million people here every Sunday. And you had tanks on the stage and lasers and somebody apparently drove a car right through that door back there. I've heard all kinds of stories. And it was, listen, nothing wrong with reminiscing, nothing wrong, especially nothing wrong with thanking God for a past that includes people coming to faith in Jesus. That's to be rejoiced over. Everything in the world wrong with always wanting to go back. I call these back to Egypt Christians. We only know what was behind us. We can't really know what, what's in front of us. And so rather than trust the Lord for our future, we want to go back to a past that we already know. And what that produces is a change-resistant individual. That's, the, that's why you have to change the culture of a body if you're going to turn that around. And when that old culture starts to creep back in, you kill it. Okay, and I'm, our staff will tell you, I'm pretty heavy-handed about that. It's not because I don't like them, and it's not because I'm out to get people or because I'm the big bad wolf. It's because I don't want that old culture creeping back in. Right? Change-resistant. One last category, drama queens. And, and you don't have to be a woman, by the way. Some of the biggest drama queens I've ever met have been dudes, okay? What am I talking about? Every single time you're around this person, the emotional stress level goes up. We're doing a series this fall called Non-Anxious Presence. Did you know that even in the middle of the times that we're living in, and I know there's a lot of unprecedented stuff happening. I know there's things that are confusing. I know it feels like culturally and in every other way the ground's probably shaking underneath your feet that God not only commands but empowers us to live non-anxious lives and spread non-anxiety to the world. That's what's coming this fall. We're going to do a parenting series first, and then when all the parents of young kids are all jacked up, I'm going to teach you how to be non-anxious, Okay. <laughs> But, but that's, that's what we're doing. Non-anxious. Drama queens don't get that. Everything's got to be up here. Right? This is, so this is why we don't have time for foolishness and nonsense. Okay? Y'all understand what I'm saying? Like, because if we're all jacked up here all the time about everything, 
that somebody said about this person or what this ministry did or what I read on Facebook or what's happening in culture, then when an infant dies or a young person takes their own life or a divorce invades a family or there's some other kind of dreaded disease or a job loss or something big hits this community, we got nothing left in the tank for what really matters. Drama queens. You say, well, how do I know I'm a joy to lead? I, I don't have to answer that question. Oh, this is why I love the Bible. I don't have to answer the question. God's Word does this. He says, let them do this with joy, not groaning. Now, groaning, it, it's, I know you're, oh, right? Here comes this prayer. It's, it's deeper than that. It refers, because every single one of us has frustrated someone, okay? If you're like, really? Yeah, you're the most unaware person in the universe, right? You have, I have frustrated people. People have frustrated me. This is deeper than that, okay? This is deeper than mere frustration. This is referring to a constriction. Think about one being squeezed or pressed on by the circumstances that surround them. What the author of Hebrews is saying is there is a way to afflict a pastor or any kind of spiritual leader by constantly putting pressure on them. There are many ways to do this. You can avert their leadership. Like I say, there's nothing, it's, it's got to be a willing thing. Here, this is always the interesting thing for me. The church, if you decide, all right, I'm, I'm not here anymore, I'm not submitting to this person, did you know there's absolutely nothing we can do to you? We can't tax you. We can't imprison you. We can't punish you in any way. Why on earth would you get so upset? But that's what happens. Like, this is all a willing thing. But when there's an unwillingness to do that, when there's a pulling for your own agenda, when there's an undercutting of authority, when there's gossip, and, and then when you do those things, I just, again, this sounds self-serving. I hope you hear my heart, out, heart of love out of this for you because I want to be there for you. All of these guys want to be there for you. Our deacons, anybody in spiritual leadership here wants to serve the body of Christ when it's time to serve the body of Christ. Let me tell you the number one way you can short circuit that, gossip. Gossip. You say, well, what is gossip? Gossip is, the base level definition, is when you're complaining about something or someone to someone else who is not empowered in any way to do anything to solve your problem. All right? You're not doing it. I'm not talking about, hey, I think, you know, worst case scenario, I think one of the pastors has committed malfeasance. And so you go over our head to the elders, perfectly legitimate. Because we're all accountable here. I'm talking about... Let me tell you what that does. Not to us, to you, okay? We just rub you the wrong way. Maybe there's no sin, there's no wrong. We just, you don't like a decision, you didn't get your way. Uh, my, my all-time favorite, and this isn't just you guys, this is everywhere I've ever been and ministered for the last 30 years, when I can't read people's minds. I love that one. I just love it. Um, and so you, you, you talk smack. Some of you may be visiting today from another church. I, well, there was, the, well, there's some real problems there. Okay, all right. Well, I, I can concede that might be the case. I know that often as well, 
the issue is you probably need to go back and make things right with them, else you're going to bring that stuff in here. And we got enough of that here. We don't need your stuff from that other church. Am I being too plain this morning? We, we, we don't need that. See, so talk smack. You, you might even do it at lunch today. I can't believe Pastor Joel was just that blunt and honest. I mean, do you know me? I can't believe it. You know who's listening to that? Your children. Your children. Week after week, month after month, and then they experience a crisis, and you want them to come to the church for help? They ain't coming to the church. You know why? Because they believe every word you've told them about the church around the dinner table. I said, this is, this is for your good. See, when I, when I say willing to submit, we live in America. There's no state-run church here. And by the way, there shouldn't be. If you want views on that, you can come to me later. But we can't force you to anything. You can, you can, you can leave today. You can, you can do whatever you want. I'm telling you this for your own good. Destructive gossip that Scripture warns you about repeatedly will then bring destruction even into your own home. That is just a little bit of what is intimated when the author says, this would be of no advantage to you. Doesn't mean you always have to agree. Doesn't mean you can't push back. Let me tell you, push back on me from our staff, from our volunteers has helped me. It's given me broader perspective. It's helped me be a better pastor when it's been done respectfully and in a way that seeks my good and the good of the church rather in a, than, than just in a way to fight that's arbitrary all the time. We, we need the contributions of the entire body. And then when we have considered that contribution, we need to be able to lead freely so that we can take the body where it needs to go. And so the implication is this. Pastors are going to lead. If they're really called of God, they're going to lead. They're going to serve. They're going to love. If you respond to that leadership in a way that is joyous and doesn't contribute to groaning, we all get to grow together. That's what Hebrews is saying. Okay? Hey, one of the, the most frustrating times in ministry have never been the hardest times. I, I don't know if that surprises you or not. There have been 13, 14-hour days that, that I have loved and there have been six-hour days when I said, maybe I should go to truck driving school. Right? It's, it's not about how hard the work is. It's not. I, in fact, let me give you one example. Right as COVID began to be a thing, and the staff will tell you if they've got good memory, around February, I think I looked at them and said, would y'all shut up about this virus? I'm tired of hearing about it. And I was. And in my mind, I'm like, I hope this isn't going to be a thing. And outwardly, I'm like, this isn't going to be a thing. Well, it was a thing. So let me tell you what God, I think, did to our church through that, what he did to me through that. It started about three weeks into the shutdown. First off, we got guys in the booth even today, and then there's even some guys not in the booth. Ryan Allen is probably chief among them, who years before COVID was a thing came to me and said, hey, pastor, we should do an online thing. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't want y'all sitting at home in your pajamas, so I resisted the idea. And I said, I, I don't know about this. And finally, I just looked at Ryan, and I said, fine. 
And, and about three weeks into COVID, I called him. And I said, if it were medically safe, I would come to your house and kiss you. And he said, no, I don't think you will, right? And so, we're, but I'm loving this guy, right? I like, this is, this is what's happening. And, and here's, here's what happened. Hey, three weeks in is when all the foolishness started. Do y'all remember the foolishness? Fighting with one another over, I mean, I'm talking about the, the culture at large, over mitigation measures, Political progressives with no common sense about money at all, being judgy toward business owners just trying to stay alive. Conservatives with absolutely no heart whatsoever, making fun of the chronically ill. Y'all remember that? Those were fun times, weren't they? A whole lot of people being influenced and caught up in, in the culture war antics. Let me remind you what this church did in the middle of all that. Without ignoring some of the issues that were important, I remember meeting, meeting with staff, and I'm like, hey, bring your job description because you're going to rip it up. Um, we brainstormed, we organized, we acted. Those men and women joined me in tuning out all the nonsense and simply serving the people that God had given us to serve. We, we, we delivered toilet paper to you. Y'all remember that? Who got toilet paper? You're too embarrassed to say, I got toilet paper. You know everybody else uses toilet paper, right? Remember that? Drugs, groceries. We made phone calls. We prayed with you. I made, I don't know how many home visits uh, to our older adults standing out in the sun with a mask on at least six feet away so, so that we could just remind you if it's some sort of physical presence, whatever we could, that we're still here and we're still for you. At the height of the economic consequences of that thing, we fed 40,000 people in this area. And when it was all over, staff will tell you, am I right, staff members in the room? We were tired. We're still tired. But it was a good kind of tired. And I'm going to tell you what, what happened to us in that moment. This place was trying to do anything and everything. When I got, I'd been here about six months, and I said, here, here's our problem. We're a church of, at, at that time, around 400 people trying to act like we're a church of 1,000 people and doing it with all of the efficiency of a church of 75 people. And, and like, we, but, but again, that's culture, right? Culture's hard to change. Habits are hard to break. No, no we got to have that minute. No, i got to stay up till 11 o'clock on Saturday night. Because eternity's going to hang in the balance if some six-year-old don't get to bounce a basketball at 10.30 at night. We're like, there's, there's got to be a better way to do this. Well, no, 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 we got to do it. And we were frantic and going everywhere. And then the pandemic came. And you know what Jesus did to this church? He stripped all of that away, took it away from us. Like, Pastors, I, I don't have the authority to do that. I can't do it. I can, well, I mean, I could, but then... There could be consequences, right? I mean, what are you going to do? How are you going to lead? How are you going to get God's people from A to B? I don't want to make light of what happened or the people that were sick or the people that died. I'm just going to tell you sometimes, and this is coming this fall too, you just better get ready for it. God is still in the process of stripping crap out of his church in the West because he wants us to come to the conclusion that Jesus is enough because he is. And we found out as a staff, and as that, you know what? 
we're not managing programs any longer so much as we're ministering to people. And hey, best we understand the New Testament, this is what the church was supposed to be doing. That's a good kind of tired. I mean, you don't mind working 15-hour days when you're doing that. That makes a people a joy to lead, doing exactly what the author of Hebrews is describing here. God has given leaders to the church, and he's given the church to leaders for our mutual benefit and for our mutual joy. And I want to ask those leaders to come forward as we close out the service today. Elders, pastors, with them, our deacons, men and women who have filled so many gaps around here. If I told you the stories, I'd not only be breaking confidence, we'd be here till tomorrow, the things that they have done. Our, our staff members that are here on the payroll come, and I just want you to come forward, and we're going to take some time to pray for each other. And then as God leads, we're going to sing together, one final song together. But would you stand with me now? And I want us to take this time to pray together as the Spirit of God leads. Come on down. Let's not leave one person untouched. If you've got to get two or three of them together, let's, you put hands on these men and women and come and let's pray for them. Thank God for them for what they do. I thank God for them. Couldn't do what I do without them. Come on forward uh, as we pray together. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to just affirm. There's not a leader in front of us that wasn't affirmed at one point in time when they were installed to their office and their capacity lord may they feel that affirmation again of god's people and lord that's that's where your, your call is channeled through the people and so we thank you for this opportunity to serve your bride we do that in great fear and trembling but we do it with the highest honor and we thank you for it what an awesome privilege this is and so lord may your bride sing to you now as we close these services out may you get glory for all you do through us moving forward. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.